today's reading is Mark 1, chapter 1, uh, verses 40 to 45. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Well, thanks, Jack, for reading that, and um, thanks, Claire, for the welcome. It's lovely to be back with you after last week and looking at this wonderful passage. Now, as we look at it, I don't know if you've heard of the film The House is Black. It was a significant film that came out in 1962, significant because it was at a time when a cure for leprosy was starting to be, become more widely available, and the film played a huge part in humanising the face of this terrible disease that up until then had largely been stigmatised and what went on in the leper colonies had largely been unreported. In the film, as it looked at people grappling with this terrible disease, one of the, um, the filmmakers made this comment. She said, there is no shortage of ugliness in this world, but by closing our eyes to ugliness, we will only intensify it. Now, I think that's an important statement, not just in the context of leprosy, but actually more broadly as we think about where we're at as a society at the moment, because one of the things that we have to grapple with, I think, at the moment, particularly in Western society, is that a number of factors, no doubt, um, circumstances causing it, but have maybe stiffened us, hardened us to the ugliness in the world, particularly to the ugliness um, that we might see within, or to how we treat and show compassion to the other, whether it's been caused by economic uncertainty, forced migration, I mean, has obviously intensified, 68 million people currently are forcibly moved from their homes and displaced in the world. Growing nationalism has therefore happened and protectionism, whatever one's own political leanings in those things. One of the results of that has inevitably been, and we've seen it, haven't we, in the UK intensely over the last couple of years, a sense of not engaging with and showing compassion to the other. There's more and more closing of our eyes to ugliness to um, go with that quote. Um, in the West, I suppose we're great at articulating our human rights, and that's an important thing to do. But of course, one of the ironies of human rights is that they only work and function in society if every right is met with a, a mutual responsibility. It's fine to articulate um, right to life, uh, right to a home. One of the poignant questions we face in the West at the moment is, who has the responsibility to provide for those rights, particularly for displaced peoples who have no home? Do we close our eyes to that ugliness that we see in other people? Do we close our eyes to our own ugliness? If we do so, will we only intensify it? Now, what we saw last week in Mark's rapid overview of chapter one is that Jesus has an amazing authority. There seems that there is nothing that he cannot do. We've seen him doing amazing things, amazing teaching that astonishes 
people, amazing authority over people as he calls his early disciples and immediately they get up, leave their possessions and leave their work and they follow him. And then an amazing supernatural authority as well as he shows authority over disease, able to heal people, you know, seemingly with a touch or with a word. And what happens in this passage is Mark effectively pauses for a moment to zoom in on one particular example. And I think the reason that this example is one that Mark chooses is because of what leprosy was in the ancient world. A terrible disease as it's always been, but one that really symbolised so much of, um, I suppose, things which were against what God stands for. A person with leprosy who would become physically deformed, who would be ostracised by society, who would be separated and pushed out to the margins. And I suppose Mark is taking this as a, 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 a very difficult case for Jesus to deal with. And he's asked the question, what will Jesus do with this? Does Jesus have the authority to deal with this? And also, does he have the willingness to deal with this type of problem? So Mark kind of takes the zoom camera lens and zooms in on it. And why don't you look with me as we look at this? And first of all, a man in desperate need, a man in desperate need. Mark writes with incredible economy of words, but there's real depth and real significance behind them. Look at verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, obviously, the man has this horrible disease, leprosy. Um, and there was lots of fear about it in the ancient world. Lepers were separated out into their leper colonies, ostracized from the rest of society. And so for any leper to enter into a public domain, there were very strict rules on what you had to do. In ancient Israelite society, he would have to wear torn clothes so that his very appearance spoke of the fact that he had disease so that people could avoid him. He would have to shout out at the top of his voice, unclean, unclean. So just imagine what that would feel like. I mean, imagine being this person. Imagine coming into a social situation and the crowds immediately withdraw away from you. You spend your whole life separated from society and when you finally get to enter back into the social context, everyone separates themselves from you. Your whole experience is one of isolation and separation. But there's more going on here. We're supposed to see this man is absolutely desperate because we're told that he comes to Jesus and begs him on his knees. In other words, Jesus was always surrounded by people. This man makes a mad dash to Jesus. Now, he's not allowed to really come into a social setting. And if Jesus, as a rabbi, rejects him at this point, then the normal treatment would be this man would be stoned for even coming into a community. And so this man really is risking everything. In other words, it's last chance saloon. He is so desperate, he's prepared to even risk his life just to get to Jesus because he thinks there might be the slimmest possibility of healing. And his words are instructive, aren't they? Notice what he does and doesn't ask. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Not if you are able. No doubt he's heard of Jesus' miracles. He seems to have the faith that says you can do it. You have the authority to do it. The real question is, do you want to help me? Very often, we have authority to help someone. The question is, do we want to help them? And so by this last dash of desperation, he's putting it all on the line. His, ha his life is literally now in Jesus' hands. What is Jesus going to do? Well, Jesus is moved with compassion. Look at verse 41. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand 
and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now, uh, a small minor technical point. Verse 41, unfortunately for the NIV, is not a great translation. There's one old manuscript that has Jesus being indignant, but it's an outlier. All the rest of the manuscripts, 99% of them, has Jesus was filled with compassion, which seems to be far more likely. John chapter 11, Jesus is indignant at the tomb of Lazarus. That's probably where the person got it from, um, but it seems to be a, a, mis, um, in a, kind of a misrecording. So we'll go with Jesus was full of compassion because that's the majority of the uh, manuscripts. So Jesus responds with compassion. Now, compassion in the Bible is very significant. Firstly, because compassion is almost universally a quality that God has in Scripture. Secondly, because compassion means two things. First of all, in in Scripture, compassion means a deep sense of being moved, moved in the very guts of your being. It's a gut reaction to injustice or to a plight. But secondly, you can never be said to have compassion in Scripture unless that gut reaction results in you doing something about it. Always, always, compassion leads to a gut reaction that has a response to and doing something about it. So when Jesus is filled with compassion, he is deeply moved. Now, please don't miss how profound a point this is. This is God himself in human form, walking in his world. And when he sees the plight of this person, how does God respond? Is God impassable and unmoved by the plight of his creatures? Is he there, happy and remote, on cloud nine, distant, letting you know, things happen in his world, as though he winds up the world's clock and then just lets it tick-tock, tick-tock and go forward, immune to the suffering of the world? Not at all. He is moved in his guts deeply stirred, and he will do something about it. And look at what he does. As Mark slows down the narrative, he reached out his hand and he touched the man. Now, why does Jesus touch him? He doesn't need to. He's going to calm a storm with just a word. He's commanded people to follow him and leave everything with just a word. He does many things with just a word. His words have power and authority. So why does he touch him? Well, think of what this man has been through. He's been having an absence of touch ever since he got leprosy. No one would dare touch him for fear of contamination. There was a study done by psychologist Matthew Hertenstein in 2009 when participants had to communicate a range of emotions to blindfolded participants just through their touch. And it was quite a landmark study because it showed how much more significant touches than we normally think. They had to communicate um, emotions such as anger, fear, disgust, love, gratitude, sympathy, happiness, and sadness. And with just a touch, no verbal communication, with participants blindfolded, they were able to get 78% success of communicating those emotions. Isn't that remarkable? Touch is that instructive. Now, what would it feel like for this man when the first touch he has had for years, the first touch he can probably ever remember, is the touch of compassion. Can you imagine how restorative that would be? How healing that would be? And that is what Jesus is doing. He doesn't need to touch the man. He wants to touch the man to reassure him. This is God himself reaching out to his creatures with the life-giving restoration touch of compassion. And then look at the response. As soon as Jesus says, I am willing, 
be clean and touches the man. Verse 42, immediately, straight away, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And I want you to notice what happens. Because normally speaking, of course, with a leper in any ancient society and with an Israelite society as well, the moment you touch a leper, you become, by association, unclean. And actually, that's the way it normally works with infections, isn't it? Or with any mud. I mean, I'm a parent. I mentioned that last week. And so my child comes in from outside. Recently, he was getting very excited about jumping in muddy puddles. He was absolutely caked in mud and water. And he came in, and of course, he said, Daddy, you know, help me take my boots off. And it's impossible to have that experience and not yourself end up caked in mud. So that's the way it works, right? Dirt normally means that when one person is dirty, another person comes into contact, even if they start out clean, you end up dirty. The amount of times in the morning I get changed, have breakfast with my children, have to go back upstairs and get changed a second time because I'm no longer fit for purpose because that's the way dirt works. But Jesus here, with something far more profound, touches this man and yet there is not a hint that he becomes unclean. Because there is another type of touch, isn't there? There's the type of touch that sometimes in life you have something so purifying, uh, so ultimately good, that when it touches something that is stained and impure, it draws it out, but is itself left still pure. I'm told that um, a neat trick that's been going on for centuries is that if you get a bit of charcoal, sounds odd, but if you get a bit of charcoal and put it in water, it will draw out impurities from the water and can be used in many pieces of water draw it out, but doesn't itself become contaminated? Well, Jesus has this type of healing, purifying touch. He touches the leper, and the uncleanness leaves the leper, but it does not contaminate him. And, you know, this is telling us something about the nature of Jesus. We know the extent of his authority, but what about the quality, the character of his authority? Are you willing, Jesus? Well, it seems that such is Jesus' touch, such is his quality of character, that just a touch will cleanse people. We get this later on in chapter 5 when there's a sick woman. You know the story. And uh, she's bleeding and she comes in the crowd and she's too nervous even to talk to Jesus and she just touches the hem of his garment and is instantly healed. It seems that Jesus is so utterly good and life-giving and restoring that even an unwitting touch of contact with him will restore and heal people. And so he touches this man and he's healed. There's actually a beautiful picture of this later in the Bible in Revelation 22 when we're told of a river that flows through the new Jerusalem, uh, the new creation. And the tree of life draws its energy, if you like, from that water. And the leaves of the tree of life as a result are healing leaves. They heal the nations. And so as we look in the mind's eye of John in Revelation, we're wondering where does this river of life come from and we're told the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowed from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In other words everything that comes from God everything that comes from the Lamb of God Jesus Christ is so utterly good so utterly life-giving so utterly restorative that anything that comes into contact with him will be healed. So are you willing? How could he not be willing? He's the source of perfect goodness in the world. Jesus heals him immediately. The leprosy left him and he was cleansed. 
Lastly, though, and thirdly, a costly exchange. Look down at verse 43. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Jesus sends the man away with a strict warning not to tell anyone. Why? Well, it's a bit of a head-scratcher. I think the most likely reason is because, as he's just said at the end of um, the previous passage, his agenda is to come as a preacher, because though he wants to deal with all of the needs that he sees around him, he sees a primary need, our spiritual need. And so he says, let me go to the nearby towns and preach there also, not necessarily here, although he will do that as well, for that is why I've come. I've come to deal with people's primary need, their need of forgiveness. And so he doesn't want, you know, as good and worthy a cause as it is, everyone crowding in on him for healing because it will distract him from his primary mission. Though such is his compassion, he will always meet a need when he sees it. And so he strictly warns the person not to tell anyone. But does the man obey? Well, no, he doesn't. Of course, the man goes out and tells everybody about it. And look at what happens. It is fascinating that this man beforehand would have been completely ostracized from all of society, living outside of the towns in the desolate places. And look at what we're told about Jesus at the end, down there in verse 45. As a result of this man's disobedience, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but himself stayed outside in lonely places. Mark is making the point that an exchange has happened. The man had lived his whole life outside, and now because of Jesus' restoring touch, the man is now able to come in. That's the point of go and show yourself to the priest. The priest would be the one who would pronounce the man clean and would able to pronounce him to the community as being restored, and therefore saying to the whole community, you can now accept him. He's able to come back in society. So Jesus is restoring him fully to being a full human being, healed and socially restored. But as Jesus does that, because of the man's disobedience, there is a cost on him. He now is outside. He now is in the lonely places. And of course, this is a theme that Mark is wanting us to pick up, because this is the great theme of his whole gospel. This is really what the cross is all about. You see, we are all by nature shut out, outside not from relationships with one another, though often that's true, but supremely in a relationship with God. Not because God wants us out, but because we have rejected God. We've turned away from him. We've said, God, I don't want anything to do with you. We have closed our eyes to oppression and injustice in God's world. And we've done that because we've closed our eyes to God in his world. And as a result of that, we, by justice, are shut out of God's presence, unable to enjoy it. And yet when Jesus comes, he comes to heal, to restore all of our needs and supremely our spiritual need. He comes to deal with that problem. So on the cross, he is crucified outside of the city and the place is symbolic. Because on the cross, he is shut out so that we might come in. On the cross, he experienced cosmic separation from his father so that we don't have to. That's why he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is forsaken 
on the cross, paying the punishment we deserve so that we can be accepted. And this miracle is a powerful hint of that. This man's disobedience means that Jesus has to be outside, even though he can now come in. And it is for our disobedience towards God that Jesus is ultimately shut out so that we might come in. I don't know if you've seen the film The Green Mile, which stars Tom Hanks. Um, Tom Hanks plays a prison guard working on the Green Mile, that is um, death row in America. And um, whilst he's there, he meets a man who is wrongly sentenced to death called John Coffey, a huge man, but a gentle spirit who's been wrongly imprisoned. He didn't do anything wrong, but he is going to die. It seems there's no justice for him. And this huge man, John Coffey, has also a supernatural gift. He's able to heal. But here's the thing. Every time John Coffey heals someone, he takes that disease, that infirmity within himself. And it seems to have a real cost on him. And he heals um, Tom Hanks' character, Paul, of a bladder condition. And then ultimately he heals one of the prison guards' wives of her cancer. And in doing so, it seems to have a real cost. And as you watch it in the film, you know that the cost is going to be that John Coffey will have to die. And so it comes to the key scene in the film. And I am spoiling it for you, but it's been around for years, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but in the key scene, Paul, the prison guard, speaks to John Coffey and he says, what do you want me to do for you? You're innocent. I can let you go. And John Coffey says, why would you do such a foolish thing as that? And he says, no, don't let me go. I must die. And he does die. And he never goes free. Because he knows that he has to die in order that the other people might live. Later, reflecting on John Coffey's death, Paul, the prison guard, in his old age, says this, we each owe a death. There are no exceptions, I know that now. But sometimes, oh God, the green mile feels long. We each owe a death. There are no exceptions. And here's the thing, Jesus takes that death so that we don't have to. So how do we respond to this remarkable little story from Mark's Gospel? Let me suggest two ways as I close. My first question would be, do you see yourself in the story? Not as Jesus, but as the leper. There is here a mad dash for help, a desire to get to Jesus to be healed. And Mark would have us cast ourselves in the story as the leper, the one who needs healing. No doubt our felt needs are probably not as acute as this leper, but whatever our felt needs, the leper does one thing right. He comes to Jesus. And in that relationship, that first contact with Jesus, Jesus defines his real needs and says, your real needs are spiritual needs. I will heal you of your other needs as well, but I'm going to deal with your primary need. I wonder, do you see yourself as needy? I know it's not a question we like asking post-enlightenment Europe, but we are needy before an all-providing, all-gracious God. Secondly, we may not have the nature of Jesus' authority and the extent of it, but if we have been healed, the call on every human being is to show the quality of Jesus' authority. It is a life-giving quality. Do you remember where we started? Will we close our eyes to the ugliness we see in the world? If we do, we merely intensify it. Jesus shows another way. Open your eyes to your own problems, to your own faults, to the faults around you, to the problems of the other. And by opening your eyes to them, then you start the path of doing something about it. Let me pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this short but remarkable account of Jesus' life and what we see in it, this authority that he can do anything, this authority that he will do anything that can help and restore, such is his love and grace. And we see the cost that it bore him, that ultimately he bore our diseases, our infirmities as he went to the cross. Help us, therefore, to trust him, knowing that he is the one who can heal us, restore us, forgive us, and make us whole. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.